If you've got a Bible, go to Daniel chapter six. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you in Daniel chapter six. And I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase weekend warriors. Have you ever heard that, weekend warriors? The dictionary defines weekend warriors as this. One who participates in an activity only in their spare time. So weekend warriors are like church softball. Okay, you know, we don't play softball regularly, we don't exercise often, but you know, when the springtime comes around, we feel like we can do anything. And so men in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s go out there and they're weekend warriors, even though it's on a Thursday night, and they play softball. And the first week they go home and they walk home like this. And Friday morning, it takes, depending on whether you're in your 20s or your 50s, somewhere in the middle, you know, you, the next morning you're like, oh, everything hurts so bad. But there's a benefit in being a weekend warrior. I mean, you get in shape and you spend some time with other people and you fellowship and there's a lot of good that comes from it. But there's also a lot of risk involved in being a weekend warrior because as a weekend warrior, you're not really conditioned for that. But here's what I found. As the softball season goes on, you actually get in better shape. And so then Friday morning isn't as painful later in the season unless you misplay a ball and it like clobbers you somewhere or somebody throws and hits you in the head or something. Then, you know, there's a little bit of pain involved, but less and less pain as you go. So weekend warriors, this series is about being built to last. It's about not being weekend warriors in faith. Because there are a lot of people that want to be weekend warriors in their faith. They'll go to church on Sunday. Jesus is what I do on Sunday. Jesus is what I do Sunday morning. You know, they don't want to, yeah, I'll pray in my spare time. I'll read the word in my spare time. I'll give my spare money. I'll, I'll serve in my spare time. And they want to be weekend warriors. And you know, there's some good involved in that. I mean, I'm not going to tell you don't read your Bible if you're only going to read it in your spare time. You're not going to hear that from me. If you're going to read it at all, praise God, read it. But if you're only going to read it in your spare time, there's risk involved. Just like being a weekend warrior physically, there's a, there's a risk involved in being a weekend warrior spiritually. If you're just going to serve God in your spare time, the chances of you walking away from the Lord are greater. We looked at last week the difference between the cross of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and the power of the resurrection to live this new life, to get us out of the weekend warrior mindset and to enable us to live out our faith in a regular and genuine way. And let me tell you what, if, we, if that's not the foundation, then everything else I share with you is just about religion. As we talk about prayer, you'll feel guilty that you don't pray enough, and so you'll start praying some more because, you know, it's what you should do as a Christian, and the last thing I want you to do today is feel guilty that you don't pray enough, and so start trying to pray more because you want to be a good Christian. What I hope to show you from the scripture and then from these testimonies is that prayer, it, it helps us to be built to last. The Bible warns us that he who endures to the end will be saved. You know what that means? Many won't endure to the end. Some people will give up because it's hard. I don't know about you, but there are times I feel like giving up. 
I feel like, you know, God, I put your word into practice and it's not paying off. I look at other people, they live however they want, seems to be paying off just fine for them. And so, I don't know. Why should I keep doing this? Why should I keep praying? Especially when it comes to prayer. Here's the thing. Early on in my ministry, I got plugged into Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala pastors the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. And I fell in love with his teaching. I fell in love with their choir. I'd always loved the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, but I learned something about this choir. I learned that Carol Cimbala, the choir director, doesn't know how to read music. She plays everything by ear. She writes all of this music that the choir sings and she has to pay someone to come in and write the music because she didn't know how. She didn't know how to be a choir director. And the thing is, is most of these choir members that sing don't know how to sing. They're just former drug addicts and former prostitutes and former people that were lost in sin on the streets of Brooklyn that got saved and now they're in a choir directed by a lady who doesn't know how to read music and they're winning Grammys. That doesn't make any sense. It's the power of God to change a life. She says every Thursday night, our choir meets for prayer, and sometimes practice breaks out. There are times on Thursday night they meet and begin to pray, and they never practice for Sunday, but they still sing on Sunday. Jim Cimbala never went to school to be a pastor. If you've never read the book Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, I encourage you to find it and read it. He shares in that story about taking over this small church in Brooklyn on Atlantic Avenue and how the power of God transformed that church. He was on a fishing boat in Florida and he said, God, I can't be a pastor. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. I don't know what to do with the few people we have. We can't pay our bills. We're gonna lose our building. They can't even pay me a salary. God, I'm not qualified for this. And he said, the Lord told me this. If you lead my people to pray, you'll never lack for what you need. And so as I read that book as a young pastor, something just resonated in my heart. And through the years as I've pastored this church, we have always, always had some type of prayer time corporately whether it was once a week or once a month. And let me tell you, there are times I have wanted to stop. When you go week after week after week after week of one, two, do you know how many times in those prayer services it was just staff and they were only here because I made them come? I could do that because they're staff. Praise God. That's why I want to have a lot of staff so I have a lot of people at prayer. When it was Brittany and Patience and I. And none of us wanted to be here. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty so you'll come to prayer. But what I'm trying to tell you is something early on in my life got so far down in me that said we have got to be a people that pray. And not just as a church. I need to be a person who prays. If I learn how to put a sermon together and I learn how to, to put a, a, a church structure together and I learn how to run a board and I learn how to, to visit the sick and I learn how to do all these things, but I don't learn how to pray, it won't matter. It won't matter. 
Prayer has got to be what we do, not just what we talk about, read about, study about, learn about. We got to pray. So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about prayer for two weeks. I just took the pressure off myself. There is so much in the Bible about prayer. I told Pastor John this week, I'm like, There's, you, it's unbelievable. I showed him like all the scriptures and I'm like, how in the world am I going to do this in a week? We're not. We're going to do it in two. Because it's going to sink in. It's got to sink in. This has got to become who we are. And so we're going to look at the scripture. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel, if you don't know, was a young Israelite. He lived in the nation of Israel. They disobeyed God, and just like God said he would. In the Old Testament, God said, if you, if you obey me and do what I ask, you're going to live here in this land, and I'm going to prosper you forever. But they didn't. And so like he said, he was going to take them into captivity. While he was promising to take them into captivity, Jeremiah, a prophet, comes along, says you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. Well, some false prophets came along and said, you know, when you go into captivity in Babylon, don't settle down there. Don't live there. Don't get at home there. And Jeremiah's like, yeah, stay there. You're going to be there for a long time. And even this, pray for the prosperity of the land that I'm going to send you into captivity in. Because the people that are coming to take you into captivity, the Babylonians, I'm sending them because you did not listen to me. So I'm going to take you over there. I'm going to put you there for 70 years. So get comfortable, build a house there. You're going to be there for a long time. Continue to obey me. Continue to pray for my blessing on the land that I put you in. That's what God said to them. Some people still didn't believe it was going to happen right up until the day they went into captivity. Daniel goes into captivity. Now, nations at this time, when they go into captivity, they look for the best of the best, and they take them, and they use them for their own benefit. So Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were well-educated. They were uh, some of the cream of the crop, if you will. So when Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come in, they see these four guys and some others, and they take them and they put them in, their pal in his palace, and they become leaders in his army, in his organization, if you will, in his kingdom. And so Daniel refuses to defile himself right from the beginning of the book. He's not going to eat the same food because the Lord said, don't eat that food. And the guy that's over him is like, I can't let you do this. I, you know, the king's going to see you. And if you just eat vegetables and drink water, that's not going to be good for you. He's like, you test us. And you see if when we do this, it doesn't work out. So the guy's like, all right, I'm going to let you try it. I'm going to test you. And they did. And they looked better. And they were actually smarter than the people that were eating the meat and the wine and the choice foods. Because they chose not to defile themselves. They chose to obey the Lord, even in the land of captivity. God put his favor on them. Daniel earns favor not only with Nebuchadnezzar. He rises in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar to be like the greatest in the kingdom next to Nebuchadnezzar. There are all of these, uh, these people that are in charge of certain areas. And then there are people in charge of the people in charge of certain areas. So like there's all of these men over here that are in charge of these cities and provinces. And there's like one guy in charge of 10. 
And then there's one guy here in charge of 10, and there's one guy here in charge of 10, and there's one guy here. And then there's somebody here in charge of this, these group of three that are in charge of those 10, in charge of those 30. And Daniel's like the guy in charge of everybody. The thing about Daniel is nobody likes him. You know why nobody likes him? Because they're jealous of him. He's getting what they want. I want his, and here's the thing, Daniel doesn't want it. All he wants is the Lord and to be obedient to the Lord. And when you set your heart on being obedient to the Lord, he'll raise you up. But if you just set your heart on raising yourself up, you're gonna do it on your own. And you're gonna be jealous of the other people that are raised up because you don't set your heart on seeking the Lord. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar goes out of power and there's a guy who comes up named Belshazzar. Belshazzar doesn't really have anything to do with Daniel, but Daniel's still kind of in the background. And one night, Belshazzar decides that he's gonna take the things that were taken from the temple of God, and he's gonna mock God, and he's gonna use these utensils at his little drunken party that he's having. Well, in the middle of the party, a hand appears and begins to write on the wall. Now, maybe they had a little too much to drink, I don't know, but the Bible says that the hand appeared on the wall. They didn't know what it said. And the king turns pale. I don't know about you, but if a hand showed up writing on the wall today, I might turn pale too. And I haven't had a drop to drink other than a little caffeine this Okay, a lot of caffeine. Who am I fooling? But the queen says, hey, there's this guy I've heard about. He's like in touch with the gods. His name's Daniel. If you call him, he'll be able to tell you what that means. And so Daniel comes and he can tell him. He basically says, you've been tested, you've been weighed on the scales, and you've come up lacking. And so today, your kingdom comes to an end. Don't play games with the Lord God Almighty, okay? Because if he puts you on a scale, you're going to come up lacking. That's why we put our faith in Jesus, because there ain't no way we can stand up. So then the, the Medes and the Persians come in, and they take over the kingdom, and a guy named Darius comes to power. Darius also exalts Daniel to a high position. So throughout all of these kings and throughout different kingdoms, Daniel has a life that's built to last. So I want to look at Daniel and see what, what's so special about it. Now the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1 through 6, is like the chronological story of Daniel's life. Daniel 7 through 12 kind of goes back into the life of Daniel and gives us some insight into some of the prayers that Daniel prayed, some of the encounters that he had with angelic beings, some things that he saw about, about the future. And we're going to talk about most of them next week. But in Daniel chapter 6, King Darius now is in power, the third king that we've seen in the book of Daniel. Daniel's still one of the head guys, but the, the guys around him don't like him and they want to trap him. So they do. They trick Darius into, into making a law that no one is allowed to pray to any other god or any person except King Darius. They trick him into signing it. Now, the, the, you think, well, that's no big deal because our president signs stuff all the time and nobody listens to it. It doesn't happen that way in a kingdom. The moment a king puts his, signet, his signature on a law, it can't be reversed. There's no way to reverse that thing. The king himself cannot reverse that. And so once he signs that and he's tricked into, the, you know how they tricked him, by the way? They come into his presence and say, oh, King Darius, may you live forever. Just a warning. 
When people walk into your presence in that type of flattery, be very aware, okay? They're probably not there because they love you. Okay, there are genuine compliments that people play, and then there's flattery. It would be good for us to know the difference. So they come in, they trick him, and Daniel finds out about this law. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, no prayer to any other God, no one except the king, or you get thrown into the lion's den. Forgot that part. Big deal. He went home. He hid in his prayer room. And he quietly whispered a prayer to the Lord. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you reading with me? That's not what he did. He went home and he knelt down as usual. Kneeling down is not important. I mean, you can kneel, you can lay, you can sit, you can stand, you can walk, you can, that's not it. But he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its window open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. Now here's the thing. Prayer is not the only thing that Daniel did. But prayer, as we're gonna see not just here, but throughout the book of Daniel over the next couple of weeks, prayer was a vital part of Daniel's life. The reason Daniel had a life that was built to last, I believe, is because Daniel was a man of prayer. He believed in it. It was his custom to three times a day pray to the Lord. Early in his life, when Daniel first goes into captivity back in Daniel chapter 2, all of the, the wise men are going to be executed because Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and he wants them to tell him the dream and the interpretation. And his wise men are like, King, you are out of your mind. There is nobody but the gods. There are nobody but the gods that can tell you what you dreamed and what it means. And they don't live among men. But thank God for Daniel. Thank God for Daniel. A man who knew how to get in touch with the Lord. See, while the rest of the nation is running around like a chicken with their head cut off, we ought to be a people like Daniel that know how to get a hold of the Lord. Because all of these guys are trying to fight for their rights. You can't kill us. This is insane. And you know what Daniel does? He enlists his three friends and he says, go home and begin to ask the God of heaven to show us mercy and tell us this secret so that we will not be executed along with the other wise men in Babylon. And you know what God did? He answered his prayer. He showed Daniel the dream and he told him what it meant. And so Daniel went and told Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar not only didn't kill anyone, but he exalted Daniel to power. Now you would think everybody would be grateful that Daniel saved their life, but they didn't. They hated him. They hated him. But luckily, God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemy. And you can spend your time focused on your enemies, or you can just eat at the table three times a day. Now, you don't have to pray three times a day. You don't have to pray in a window toward Jerusalem. You don't, but it needs to be our custom to be men and women of prayer. 
We cannot be weekend warriors when it comes to prayer. We cannot just say, you know, I'll pray in my spare time. I'll pray when I have a moment. You know, I'll just, you know, every once in a while I, I throw up a prayer. Well, every once in a while a Hail Mary gets caught. That doesn't make us people of prayer because every once in a while God answers a prayer. I mean, God's still going to be faithful to his word. And even if we only pray once in a month and we throw up a prayer, God still may answer that prayer because he's faithful. But that doesn't mean our lives are going to be built to last. If we're going to have lives that are built to last, we have got to be people of prayer. See, in Mark chapter 9, the disciples are encountering a, a boy that has been possessed by a demon. And they can't cast the demon out. They've cast other demons out. They've prayed for other sick people and they've been healed. They've done it before, but they can't, they can't do it this time. So they're arguing with the Pharisees. And Jesus comes into that scene and he says, what's going on? They tell him the story and he casts the demon out of the, the, the boy. So the disciples, when they get him alone, they're like, Jesus, hey, you showed us up out there. You made us look stupid. That's what they said. I read between the lines. And they said, why couldn't we cast the demon out? I mean, we've done it before. And Jesus says these words in Mark chapter nine. Afterward, when he was alone in the house, they said, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. That should tell us something. Some versions say prayer and fasting. I don't care about fasting right now. Jesus at least says prayer. And he's not talking about when you encounter a demon, throw up a prayer. He's saying there's something to be learned about this thing called prayer. You have got to develop a systematic lifestyle of prayer. You've got to grow in it. You've got to grow in your understanding of it. You've got to grow in your practice of it. And if you don't, you're going to encounter things you're not going to be able to handle, even though you handled something similar the last time. You can't rely on the fact that, you know, you, you, you got something over here or you went to a prayer line and someone prayed. You have got to develop a prayer life for yourself if you're going to have a life that's built to last. In James chapter 5, James says, a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The Lord will make you well. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are. Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And he prayed again and the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Elijah was a man or a woman like you are, like I am. Stop thinking that, you know, my prayers aren't going to get answered because I'm not. No, Elijah was like us. So if you have a need, ask. James in the chapter before says, says you don't have because you don't ask. And you know what you do? You fight and you quarrel. You know why there's all this fighting and quarreling? Because we won't ask the Lord. Or when we do ask, we ask with impure motives and it's all about me, 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 me. Why were the disciples fighting with the Pharisees at the foot of the mountain? Because they couldn't cast the demon out of the boy. Had they cast the demon out of the boy, there would have been no arguing. 
Why are most of our churches arguing and fighting all the time? Because there's not a whole lot of prayer going on. In our personal lives and in our corporate lives. I've been in the church a long time. And we talk about prayer, we sing about prayer, we read about prayer, we have prayer conferences and gatherings. We just don't pray. And if we would grab a hold of this, I mean, God is saying, if you just grab a hold of this, I mean, please don't sit there and feel guilty that you don't pray enough. Just grab a hold of the fact that if you start praying, your prayers are gonna start getting answered. Every prayer you don't pray, 100% of the time will not get answered. Guaranteed. Start praying. Some people say, well, Pastor Tom, you know, if we would just, if we just had more testimonies, I'd pray more. We just had three today. And the testimonies are powerful and they're good. But Jesus debunks that myth. You know, if we could just see some blinded eyes open, man, that would just stir our faith. No, it wouldn't. I mean, it would give us a jolt. I mean, it'd be exciting to see somebody in a wheelchair get up and walk around or blinded eyes open. But if we don't believe what we already have, that's not gonna last. Remember when Jesus told the story about the rich man and Lazarus and Lazarus is in hell and he says to Abraham, please, I don't want my brothers to come to hell here. I don't want them to experience this torment. So I want you to, would you please send somebody to my brothers and would you tell them about them? But, and, and, the, and he says right here, he says, you know, they have the law. They have the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they're not gonna listen. Well, yes, Lazarus says, if someone rises from the dead, they'll listen. They'll listen then. If someone just rises from the dead, and Abraham says no they won't if they don't believe the law and the prophets they're not going to believe if someone rises from the dead now I'm going to guarantee you something if someone was dead right here and we prayed for them and they stood up we would have more people here next Sunday guaranteed but in six months how many would be left that's what he's saying that jolt is going to provide you with a short term fix but it is not meant to keep you in the long run. What's meant to keep us in the long run is the relationship we establish with the Lord through prayer. That's what keeps us in the long run. We have got to be like Daniel. Daniel, in Daniel chapter six, is about 80 years old. And at the risk of losing his life, Daniel prays. There's two parts of Daniel's prayer that I want to look at today. The first part is that Daniel gave thanks to God as he had always done three times a day. Some of us haven't thanked God three times this week. Some of us haven't thanked God three times this month. In fact, some of you might now be sitting there thinking, I don't really know what I have to thank God for. Daniel is in captivity. His home has been ransacked. Some of his family and friends have been murdered. He's been taken as a prisoner to a foreign land and forced against his will to serve them. Now a law has been passed saying if you pray to God, you are going to get thrown into the lion's den. If I'm Daniel, I'm skipping over Thanksgiving today and I'm going right to the prayer part. But Daniel chapter 6 says at first he gives thanks to God. The scripture tells us in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything. That's easier said than done, amen? 
I mean, sometimes you just can't help it. Anybody with me? I mean, you feel the anxiety. Do you feel it? I mean, your, your body responds to pressure. Your body, I mean, don't be anxious. Are you kidding me? What am I supposed to do? Stop being anxious, body. It doesn't work. Trust me, I know anxiety. I know what it's like to lie in bed and feel your nerve endings begin to tingle and you just lay there and say, but what are you doing? Stop, don't be anxious. Trust in the Lord and take deep breaths. I know what it's like to lay there for hours and not be able to fall asleep because your body is responding to an anxiety that doesn't even exist. But the Bible says, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Most of us are really good at presenting our requests to God. I mean, when there's a need, I'm taking it to the Lord. Can I tell you something? Sinners do that. We take it with thanksgiving. What do we have to be thankful for? The cross? That he's never counted our sins against us? That he's been faithful to me even though I've failed him umpteen times? That he never lets go of me? That he is going to finish the work that he started in me? Not to mention the fact that I've got food to eat today. I've got a shelter that I can live in. I mean, we, I know I've got problems. I know I've got bills that I don't know how are gonna get paid. I know that there are all of these pressures in our lives. But don't lose sight of the fact that God has done so much. Because if we are not thankful, look at what Romans chapter one says. If we are not thankful, it will bring hopelessness and despair. Romans chapter one says they knew God, but they would not worship him or give him thanks. So they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like, and as a result, their minds became dark and confused. If we do not learn to offer our prayer to God with thanksgiving first, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise. Jesus said, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. If our prayers don't learn to start with praise and with thanksgiving, if all we do is focus on what we're gonna, we need from God, we'll never be able to eat at the table he's prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. We'll think I can't eat until I get what I need. God says, I want you to learn to eat before you get what you need. And when you learn to eat in the presence of your enemies, I'll take care of your enemies. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all this is gonna be added to you. It's learning to thank God even before you get what you need. You know, I'm not saying, oh God, I thank you for this healing that uh, I know is coming. You don't, I mean, you don't have to deny that the pain, Lord, I thank you that I no longer feel this pain in my leg. You still feel the pain in your leg. I thank you, God, that you sent your son to deal with this pain in my leg. I thank you that you always finish the work that you're starting. I thank you. That's how you offer your prayer with thanksgiving. You don't deny that there's a problem. You thank God that he's dealing with the problem. And so right now, I'm just going to eat at your table while you deal with my problem. And we learn that while we eat at his table, sometimes he tells us, um, now that I've got you quiet sitting at this table, um, you're part of the problem. Some of us are saying, Lord, I need you to take away this problem. And he's like, um, I'd have to kill you. Because you're the one causing it. Not always, but sometimes we are the cause of our own problems. And sometimes 
we think we need the answer to the problem and God's like, no, what you need is what I'm gonna give you on the way to the answer. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Thanksgiving builds faith in our lives. In Mark chapter nine, when Jesus healed the boy that the disciples could not heal, the father in exasperation says, you know, I brought this boy to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. If you can heal him, please do it. And Jesus says, if I can, if I can, anything is possible if, if you believe. And the man says, well, I don't know who you think you are. And that's not what the man said. Look at what the man says in Mark chapter nine. I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. Every one of us in this room, I'm gonna shock you right now. Write this down. Every one of us in this room has a level of unbelief in our lives. Every one of us. We do. I'm not saying that every prayer that didn't seem to get answered was because you didn't have enough faith. There's an extreme teaching out there, but please don't miss the fact that even though that's an extreme, that sometimes our prayers go unanswered because of a level of unbelief in our lives that God wants to deal with or needs to deal with. In James chapter one, James says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That means he's gonna give to everybody even if you don't earn it or deserve it. Let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. That's a pretty harsh statement. Every one of us in this room has doubts, fears, anxieties, unbelief in our lives that God wants to deal with. It's not a condemnation. It's just a growth that has to take place in our lives in the area of prayer. So Daniel offers his prayer with thanksgiving. The second thing that Daniel does is he asks for help. If you are ever going to be thrown into a lion's den, I recommend this. Ask God for help. It worked for Daniel. <laughs> what I've found is people who have stopped being thankful soon stop asking for help. they soon stop asking for help because they, I mean, every once in a while they'll, they'll, you know, pray or ask, but they really don't expect God to answer that prayer because ungratefulness has caused fear, anxiety, doubt, unbelief to grow in our hearts. And that's why the scripture says, offer your prayers with thanksgiving. We live in a society that thinks that we deserve everything and we're not thankful for anything. We have got to cultivate thankfulness. The Bible is loaded with people who are desperate and seem to get answers. Daniel, I mean, it's a no-brainer. If you're about to be thrown into a lion's den, what else, what are, you, what are you gonna do? Run and hide from the king? No, you're gonna pray and ask God to help deliver you. I wish we lived in that place of desperation. I wish I knew how to live like I was being thrown into a lion's den every moment of my life. I do. I want to learn that kind of faith. I want to learn to just cry out to God for an answer before I reach for another answer. 
Before I think, I know how to solve this one, I've done this before. Before like the apostles, I just say, hey, I've cast the demon out before, bring that guy here. I wish I lived with the kind of desperation that just gets a hold of heaven and sees an answer come. It's possible. In Luke chapter 11, when Jesus is teaching us about prayer, this is what he says. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread and a friend of mine has come from a journey and uh, the man calls out from his bedroom and says, don't bother me, the door's locked, my family are in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, if we took the words of Jesus and we just stopped there, we could come up with our own idea of why Jesus is telling them this story. You know, just, you know, the, it's the, the, the squeaky wheel that gets the grease or whatever you want to, but we don't have to wonder because Jesus plainly tells them. So I tell you, because I just told you that, I tell you this, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open to them. Jesus told another story in Luke 18, so that they would always pray and not lose heart. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out to him, though he bears day and night cry out to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he'll avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? See, here's the thing. We, we know those passages. You've heard me share those umpteen times. But some of us are sitting here right now and saying, but I asked and I didn't receive. I even said, in Jesus' name. As if in Jesus' name was meant to be just a phrase that we tag on the end of our prayer to get it answered. You do know that in Jesus' name means in the place of Jesus. And Jesus taught himself in, we're going to skip over Daniel's prayer there. Jesus taught himself here in John chapter 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name and I'll do it. So just tag my name on the end of your prayer and I'm going to do it for you. We could think that if Jesus didn't later on say, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will ask for anything and it will be granted for you. See, there's the kicker. James doesn't just say you don't have because you don't ask. He says sometimes you ask with wrong motives. Now, I know. You're all good church folk. You look so good today. You're all dressed up got your pretty smiles on. I mean, none of you have impure motives. Everyone, please turn to your neighbor and say, you have impure motives. Go ahead, do it right now. You have impure motives. Because just like all of us have a level of unbelief in our lives, all of us in this room have impure motives. We do. I'm trying to make you even more grateful for the cross today. And so sometimes in our asking, we're not asking with pure motives. That's why it's important that we stay in him and we stay in his word so that we don't have to pray prayers like, well, Lord, you know, I don't really know what your will is. So if this be your will, then, you know, maybe do this. No, he says, you know what? You get in my word and you get my word in you so much that you know what I'm thinking and you know what I want to do. And I'm going to reveal it to you and you're going to ask it and I'm going to do it. 
But we just want Jesus to be like the genie in the bottle and we just rub the lamp and poof, there comes Jesus. And that doesn't always work. You cannot be a weekend warrior in prayer and expect to see the results that you're looking for. Sometimes you're gonna wake up sore. But there's good news. If we keep doing it and we keep putting these words into practice and we keep trusting that God hears us and he answers us and he is for us and not against us, meaning he's not here today to tell us you don't pray enough. He's here to remind us if you will pray, if you will seek me, if you will grow in your understanding of prayer, if you will grow in your practice of prayer, I am going to hear you and I am going to show you how to pray and I'm gonna teach you and you're gonna pray and I'm gonna answer. That's what he's trying to tell us today. Let me give you one last thing before I'm done. Oh, let me skip ahead. Don't worry, I plan to skip ahead, it's okay. I was gonna take some stuff out of my notes and I'm just like, no, I'll just skip ahead. I wanna skip up to here. Here we go. Colossians chapter four, verse two says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. That's what I want us to do. I want us to devote ourselves to prayer. Not just pray when it's convenient, pray when we have extra time. We need to, this week, begin to learn to devote ourselves to prayer. First Thessalonians, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you belong in Christ Jesus. Be thankful. As you pray, be thankful. If you're taking notes, write down the letters A-C-T-S, A-C-T-S. I was not going to give prayer helps because there's not really a method of praying. Okay, I know that there's a million ways you could learn to pray, but I'm gonna give you these things. When you pray, the A stands for adoration and thanksgiving. That just means praise and thanksgiving, but you say adoration so you can remember acts. Praise and thanksgiving. I will enter his gates with praise, or thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Begin your prayer times and cover your entire prayer time with thanksgiving and praise. Thanking God for who he is, what he's doing, even though you're not seeing the answer, you know the answer's coming, you know God is working, you know he's there, you don't know how it's gonna happen, but God, I'm trusting you, I'm believing you, open my eyes to see it, help me to know you, I'm leaving it in your hands, help me not to be anxious about it, cover it with adoration and thanksgiving. Number, the, number two, C, confession. This is both a negative and a positive thing. If you have sin in your life, if you are praying and you think about sin, you don't know if that's the voice of the Holy Spirit bringing that up for you to repent of or whether it's the voice of the enemy trying to condemn you, here's what you do with it. You confess it and you repent of it and then you move on past it. You don't have to repent of it in a very long prayer. You just have to repent of it. You have to say, God, I've done this. The way I'm treating my wife is wrong. God, I, I need to change. Give me the desire to change. Give me the power to change. Why? Because Peter said, if I don't treat her right, it hinders my prayers. So I'm wasting my time here if I'm not treating her right. I need to treat her right. God, the way I responded when that guy cut me off in traffic today, I shouldn't have let my anger boil over like that. I was impatient. I was rude. God, you need to forgive me of that. Give me the grace to not do that again. That's confession. 
The positive side of confession is, God, thank you that you are making me new in Christ Jesus. Thank you that today, I know I reacted to that guy and I, I yelled at him, but God, I thank you that you are changing me. You're making me more like Christ, so the next time, I'm gonna react differently. That's positive confession. It's taking what God says about you in this book and declaring that's who you are. You need to do that in your prayer. So confession, positive, negative, whatever you want to see. The T, the T in my prayer time stands for tongues. Learn to pray in the Spirit. If you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, study it in the Scripture. Learn to, to pray in that language that God has given us. Pray in the Spirit. We're going to talk about that next week. It's in the Bible. Learn to pray in that prayer language. It will help you. God will show you things. He'll reveal things into you. The Spirit will pray in ways you don't know how to pray. Make that a part of your prayer time always. The last one, supplication. That's the S. That just means ask God for what you need. Ask God to do stuff in the life of other people. That's how we pray. Now, you don't start with praise and thanksgiving and then move on to confession. You just pray. Sometimes it's best to pray in tongues first because you don't feel like praying at all and so you need to do some battle to get yourself engaged in prayer. Sometimes you need to start with confession because you've been walking around feeling guilty all day for something you did. So you need to get the negative confession out of the way and then get into the positive confession that you're forgiven, you're set free. I'm no longer who I used to be. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus because he shed his blood for me and it's been applied to my life because I've put my faith and trust in him. And so this isn't like, a, sometimes you start with asking. I know Daniel started with Thanksgiving, but sometimes there's really not time for Thanksgiving. And so the asking just comes first. It's, there's not a formula. We just have to do it and grow in it. And don't give up on it. Don't think that this week, man, angels are going to start singing. Because Pastor Tom preached on this, angels are going to sing ah, when you go into your prayer time. It's not gonna happen. Of all the scriptures that I gave you today, do you know what none of them said? None of them said anything about how you feel. None of them said you're gonna feel like doing this. None of them said when you pray, you're gonna feel like God has answered you. You're gonna feel like God has heard you. Sometimes you will pray for weeks and months and feel like God is not listening. But this says he's always listening. And so God, I thank you that you hear me even when I don't feel like you hear me. I know you're hearing me. I know you're working for my good and I refuse to quit. I'm gonna be like that persistent widow. Jesus, you told that story about that persistent widow because you knew that today I was gonna feel like giving up. But I will not give up because you are the God who hears and you are the God who avenges me over my enemies even though you bear long with me. And Jesus, when you come back to this earth, you will find faith and it will be in me. By the way, thank you for giving me that faith because I don't do it in my own strength. See how that works? That's prayer. It's not always pretty. It's not always the same. It's not always structured. It's not always this nice little cookie cutter routine, but it's prayer. Now here's the thing. In your prayer time, learn to listen too. Learn to shut up and let God speak to you. Because sometimes he'll say, you know, your motive for asking that's not right. Sometimes he'll say, you know, I really want to give you that, but it's not time yet. But keep asking. There's more behind the scenes than you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about that next week too. 
I want to encourage you to actually pray, to actually thank God, praise God, ask God. Just sitting quietly with your Bible open is meditation, but it's not prayer. You actually have to ask for it to become prayer. You actually have to, we have to open our mouths for it to be prayer. See, a lot of times in corporate prayer times, there's a lot that happens and very little prayer. We're going to talk about corporate prayer next week specifically, but a lot of times we want to come to corporate prayer and just, you know, kind of sit and soak in the Lord's presence with our Bibles open, which isn't a bad thing to do. But if we do that for an hour, we didn't really ask God to do anything. And it's important that we ask. It's important that we actually vocalize those things. We're going to look at the prayers of Daniel next week, and we're going to see from Scripture that it's important. Jesus said, ask. Jesus didn't just say, sit and think about it. Sit and dream about it. Pick up the phone and call someone else and talk about it. He said, ask. He said, seek. He said, knock. And if you do that and do not give up, you're going to receive, you're going to find and the door's going to be open. It won't always look like you thought when the door opens. It won't always look like what you thought when you find. And it won't always look like what you thought when you ask and receive. But you will. You will receive. You will find. You will have a door open. And God will hear and answer your prayer. He's promised it. So I want to encourage you to stand with me. We're going to close service. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to dismiss. But if you want to pray, we're going to open the altars for you to pray. If you want us to pray for you, I know that I said that we weren't going to give you another chance. We're going to give you another chance. I mean, don't leave here today if you know you needed to be prayed for and you still haven't. We're We're not going to be like, why didn't you come the first time we asked? We're going to say, thanks for coming. How can we pray for you? That's what we want to do. We want to pray for you. Because we, at some times, have been guilty of not listening to God and just waiting for the umpteenth time for God to ask. And here's the thing. Anytime you respond to God, he's happy to oblige. He's happy to oblige. So we're going to pray for you. And so, Father, I thank you that when we pray, you hear us. I thank you that you are patient and that you are kind. I thank you that you bear with us. God, you are way more patient than any of us in this room. We've given up on others. We've given up on ourselves. And yet you never give up on us. And I thank you that you're here today to convict us. That you're here today to encourage us to strengthen us. God, to open our eyes to see and to understand the power of prayer. Forgive us of prayerlessness. Forgive us of trusting in ourselves. God, we believe in you. Help us overcome unbelief. Help us to bring our requests to you with thanksgiving. Help us to to not allow 
hopelessness and despair to take root in our hearts, but to overcome it with praise, with thanksgiving. God, we know that you're at work. Even in the most difficult circumstances of our lives, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because you are with us. And no matter what happens in our lives, you will always be with us. If I lose my job, you are with me. If the doctor tells me I have cancer or some disease, you are with me. If I fail this week and I let someone down, if I fall back into a sin that I thought I'd overcome, even there you find me. Father, begin to stir a spirit of prayer in the hearts of your people like never before. May it be said of us that we are a people who know you. God, in the same way that Daniel had a reputation as someone who knew how to get a hold of the Lord, God, may that be true of us. May that be true of here on First Assembly of God. May we be known for people who know how to pray, who know how to hear from you more than any program, more than anything else. Make us a house of prayer. Holy Spirit, teach us how to pray. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to spend some time in prayer, maybe you've given up on a prayer request and the Lord today has just touched your heart and said, ask me to do this. And you want to spend time alone, you can do that. If you want to be prayed for, please come and find us. We'll be here in the front for a few moments and would love the opportunity to pray with you. If you need to be dismissed, please just do it quietly and save your time to visit for the lobby area and let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some more time in prayer. God bless you as you go.